So you heard part of Psalm 104. The uh, whole of Psalm 104 is a creation psalm that extols all of the riches that God bestows on all of his creation. So we only get a snippet of it. But we want to note that the whole of the psalm is really talking about God as creator and provider. Who is God and what is God like? What does it mean to be human and how do God and humans relate and interact? How many of you students have heard those questions before? A few of you have taken my class in Old Testament. So these fundamental questions uh, you'll find permeating and punctuating and even plaguing human life throughout uh, human history. Uh, These kinds of questions trouble minds that wonder if there is a God at all, and if so, is God caring or cruel, present to us or distant, mindful or reckless, giving or grabbing? The question bothers the soul that senses that life should somehow be meaningful and good, but is uncertain to turn to where to find those things. Is purpose given to us? Or is it something that we just subjectively make up to make ourselves feel good? Is truth and a blessed life a reality or a dream and maybe a hopeless one at that? Are we all alone, forsaken by chance to forage for fleeting survival or forge a fictional significance? Or are we bound to God? And if so, what kind of God do we live with? And how does that affect us. Ancient Israel's neighbors address questions just like these time and time again in their literature about the gods and their interactions with each other and with humans. Israel's neighbors were far from being atheists. That was not their issue. They believed in multiple gods. Any sensible person would believe that there's deity. They believed in multiple gods one for each aspect of the cosmos. And each god then was potent and impotent at the same time. Nearly all had a birthday, and quite a few had a death day. They typically cared more for themselves individually, and they frequently fought with each other, even killing one another for petty things like not getting enough sleep at night. That's not a joke. My students can tell you. They were asked and tasked, to care for the myriad parts of creation, like the rainstorms that would bring fertility to the earth. But these gods made no promises. They made no covenants to do so. They would sometimes forget to perform their tasks because they forget. Or sometimes they would be prevented from doing these things because they were warring with each other and they're impotent and they cannot do all things. The gods in, for Israel's neighbors held uh, people in extremely low regard. People were essentially slaves made to work the earth to provide for the gods so that they could rest from manual labor and oversee and enjoy the cosmos in administrative comfort. People had no guarantee of a good life. The only guarantee they had is that eventually they would die, uh, but that if they did not satisfy the gods, they would suffer. So they needed to satisfy the gods by providing them with abundant food, fine clothes, and ornate temples to live in, in nice kind of retirement luxury. This is an important context for us as we dive into Psalm 104. In this context, Psalm 104 speaks a different word about God, about humanity, and their relationship. 
This creation psalm reveals God to be the one who creates life and sustains it. Psalm 104 has myriad things that points out that God does. God provides water to quench thirst. God provides plants to bear food for our strength. God even gives wine to people to enjoy. It's right there in the psalm. God made and maintains the moon to set the seasons for planting and harvesting and sets the sun in the sky to give light during the day so that people can work for their benefit. God in wisdom made life rich in variety with each creature majestic and meaningful in its own way, with its own purpose. Because God graciously and lovingly gives and supports life, all of creation understands that God alone is the source of life. So creation naturally looks to God for life itself and the bread of life that sustains it. As Psalm 104 reveals to us, God gives. He does not grab. God cares and provides. He does not enslave and use. God tends to life. He does not abandon it. God blesses creation. He does not neglect or abuse it. It's for this reason, then, that the psalm extols the hearer who has been taught the true nature and work of God, has been extolled to bless God. In response to God's manifold gifts of life, Yadavins is not so much commanded, I know that they're verbs of command at the end, but they're not so much commanded as motivated. They're not told that they must praise God in order to receive God's gifts. No. They're moved to thank God because of all the gracious gifts God gives them in creation and sustaining them. Moreover, the audience understands implicitly that they can trust in God, that they can pray to God, that they can ask from God and expect to receive even more of God's life-giving gifts, for such is the nature of God and such is the nature of of our relationship with him. So in response to these perennial questions and contemporary ideas that pervaded Israel's neighbors, this psalm is rather shocking and comforting at the same time. God is the giver of all good gifts. We are his happy recipients. Every blessing that we have in life, including the reality of our identity as God's beloved creatures, every blessing we have is from God and is for our benefit. Even the work that God gives us to do is for our benefit. It's not a way for God to punish us. It's not God's way to make us satisfy his uh, wants and whims. God doesn't need anything from us. Although it is entirely proper, as the psalm says, for us to thank and bless him for his abundant gifts. The 16th century theologian Martin Luther may have had this psalm in mind when he penned his famous explanation to the first article of the Apostles' Creed. Now, the Apostles' Creed is the church's common confession of biblical faith that extends back to the 3rd century A.D. Here's what Luther wrote in his small catechism about this first part of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. What does this mean, Luther asks? Answer. I believe that God has made me and all creatures, that he has given me my body and my soul, eyes, ears, and all my limbs, my reason, and all my senses, and still preserves them. In addition, he gives me clothing and shoes, meat and drink, house and homestead, wife or husband, and children, field, cattle, and all my goods. I believe that he provides me richly and daily with all I need to support this body and life, protects me from all danger, and guards me and preserves me from all evil. And all of this 
out of pure fatherly divine goodness and mercy, without any merit or worthiness in me, for all which I owe to him, obviously, thanks, praise, and service and obedience. This is most certainly true. Indeed, as Luther says, it is our obligation to thank God in response to his unending gifts to us, but I want to push it further. It's more than that. It's our privilege to do so. For we not only have the treasured freedom, and it really is a freedom, to address God in prayer and to confidently ask God for our needs, knowing that we'll receive them, including our daily bread and wine, we are constant recipients of God's lavish gifts of life, and that then places us places on us the opportunity to praise our creator and sustainer before each other here and before the whole world. In fact, that is why we are here right now, to receive from God and respond with thankful lips and lives. So let us pray, and let us receive, and let us praise our God. Amen.